Hello, and welcome back to this pharmacy-based podcast. This time, we're going to cover the new exciting drug Molnupiravir from Merck Sharp and Dome and Ridgeback Biotherapeutics. The plan is to cover a bit about what it is and how it works, but also spend some time looking at how we can use summary statistics responsibly to show how effective it might be, both to ourselves and to other people. As with the previous pragmatic critical appraisal things we've done, we're going to do this by looking at the easily available stuff, so the BBC report is a good starting point rather than the original papers. We're not doing a systematic review that would stand up in court, more a quick look to get a ballpark idea of what we might think. So first off, what is molnupiravir and why is there excitement about it? So molnupiravir is the new treatment for COVID-19 that can be taken orally rather than as an injection like you have to do with remdesivir. The name is a combination of the piravir stem, which is an international non-proprietary name suffix for antiviral, and moln, which is a contraction of mjolnir, the name of Thor's hammer. It's a fairly snazzy medicine that works on RNA-dependent RNA polymerase, the enzyme that lets SARS-CoV-2 replicate its RNA. As we all knew, and possibly pretend we still know, RNA is made up of the nucleosides adenine, A, cytosine, C, guanine, G, and uracil, U. When replicating, U matches to A and C matches to G, allowing perfect copies of the original strand to be made. Molnupiravir pretends to be a nucleoside, like lots of antivirals do, and gets incorporated into the growing template strand. However, rather than the one-to-one mapping that you normally get, molnupiravir can match with either C or U, which when copied then goes to A or G in the new SARS-CoV-2 virus. It basically adds in loads of randomness into the transcription. Whereas in the original you definitely had an A, in the new virus you could have an A or a G, and where you had a G, you could also have an A or a G. This creates garbage code, making the new virus not work, so reducing viral load and giving patients more of a chance of getting better. This is similar to how remdesivir works, apart from remdesivir is a fake nucleoside for A rather than C or U, and that molnupiravir is a bit more subtle and doesn't get spotted quite so quickly when it's switched in. In pharmacy terms, Remdesivir is a dispenser picking lactulose liquid instead of ramipril capsules. It's highly likely to be picked up by the checker and sent back for another try to get it right. The insertion of remdesivir stops the replication process, giving the virus an opportunity to correct the error. But molnupiravir is more like a dispenser picking amlodipine instead of amylaride. This tends not to be picked up and the problem goes straight through the system without being caught. So that's the hype, but how well does it work in practice? Looking at the BBC article, it cuts hospital admissions by 50%, which looks stunning. Maybe a bit too stunning. Could this be hype as well? Probably. So time to look at the original figures, which are helpfully in the BBC article as well. So the numbers are that without any treatment, 14.1% of patients ended up in hospital with COVID-19. But with molnupiravir, that dropped to 7.3%. There's no need to get too accurate with it all. The decimal points are within the margin of error of what we're trying to do here anyway. So to keep it simple, we'll use 14% and 7%. 7 is half of 14, so the headline number is right. Molnupiravir does reduce the risk of hospital admission by 50%. But this is a relative risk reduction. Telling someone it reduces the risk of something by 50% doesn't tell them much if they don't know what the level of risk is in the first place. Half of 90% is much more significant than half of 0.9%, which is why we like summary statistics that leave in a little bit more information, 
absolute risk reduction and number needed to treat. And the numbers are simple. The absolute risk reduction is 14 minus 7, which is 7%. 7% of people treated with molnupiravir benefit from it by avoiding coming into hospital. And the number needed to treat is the reciprocal of this, 100 divided by 7, which is about 14-ish. You need to treat about 14 patients with molnupiravir to avoid one hospital admission. So is this it? The absolute risk reduction is 7% and the NNT is about 14-ish? Not really. So when quoting summary statistics, we need to always make sure that we're putting them into context. They are a summary statistic, but what are they summarising? The thing to remember is that all summary statistics are summarising the answer to a PICO question. So you need to make sure you're clear what this question is before you start quoting the summary statistic. So for this one, what is the PICO question? The last three letters of the acronym are fairly easy as they're spelled out in the BBC article. So the intervention is giving people molnupiravir within five days of starting with symptoms. The control is not giving people molnupiravir within five days of starting with symptoms. And the outcome is admissions to hospitals. So these are all good things. It's a question we're interested in. But it's a little less clear what the population we're treating is. At first glance, the numbers might give us a hint that there's something to think about. So in the control group, 14% of people ended up in hospital without treatment. This seems quite high. Is that the rate we have in this country? So the last week of full data from the government says that we have 281,128 positive PCR tests with 6,183 hospital admissions, which works out at a hospitalisation rate of about 2%, which is a lot lower than 14%. So the population we're looking at is not the general population. It's those people at really high risk of hospital admission. Does this mean that it wouldn't work for those at lower risk of admission to hospital? Well, no, it's just that we don't have any evidence either way for the lower risk population. But given the really low risk for the majority and the history of the effectiveness of antivirals for pandemics, it would be sensible to keep a sceptical hat on when asked to extrapolate to new patient groups. So how do we pull this all together? So let's pretend you've got the length of a corridor walk to tell an interested doctor about molnupiravir. Maybe they want to prescribe it for their patient on ICU. What do you say? We could use the PICO mnemonic with an extra C for confidence at the end to give us a structure and could maybe go with. So for people at very high risk of becoming hospitalised with COVID, population, giving molnupiravir within five days of the onset of symptoms, intervention, instead of nothing, control, means that you're likely to half their risk of coming into hospital. You'd need to give 14 people molnupiravir for one person to benefit. Outcome. But we don't know anything about people who aren't at high risk or further into their COVID-19 infection. An extrapolation from what we do know should be cautious, given the past history of treatments for pandemics. Confidence. Oh, and also, did you know that molnupiravir is named after Thor's hammer from off of Norse mythology or the Avengers? Interesting fact. And that's it. Hopefully it's been vaguely useful or at least given you something to think about. Thank you and see you next time.